Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Now, it's the rest stop with Brad Restituto. Comes up to the pocket, fires the right side, caught by Diggs. Stay oh my God! Oh my God! Welcome to the rest stop. Tonight is Thursday, June 17th, 2021. Brad Restituto at the helm, Spencer Ostrovsky alongside me. As always, big sports show tonight as the NBA playoffs are really coming down the stretch. We're kind of on the final lap here in the conference semifinals, getting into the conference finals here very shortly as we've got a couple game sixes. We had tonight. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks take care of the Brooklyn Nets in Milwaukee, 104 89. Uh, Giannis had a nice night statistically, along with Chris Middleton, who was really the star of the show offensively 11 of 16 from the field, 11 of 12 from the free throw line, 38 points from Middleton. Drew Holiday pitched in with 21 points. He was only one of 10 from three, but Middleton was a story offensively, and Giannis did enough. And the key stat, in my opinion, for Giannis tonight zero three point attempts. And they did enough defensively to shut down and, and slow down Kevin Durant. James Harden had a nice uh, bounce-back game in his second game back. Joe Harris continues to struggle from the three-point line. And Brooklyn took care of home court. And there will be a game seven in Brooklyn. And we'll see. We'll see if James Harden uh, just gets a little bit more healthier. And we'll see what Kevin Durant can do. He was 15-30 from the field, 2-8 of eight from three, and 0-2 of two from the free-throw line. 32 points, but this guy played 40 minutes, and you're asking him to do a lot coming off an Achilles injury where he didn't play in any back-to-back games the entire regular season. So the Bucks take care of business. As I said on Tuesday's show, that this series was not over based on Kevin Durant's amazing Game 5 performance. Milwaukee took care of business in Game 6, and we will go to a Game 7. We'll see who steps up for Milwaukee if they can advance to the conference finals. It's not going to be easy. Chris Middleton has not been the player on the road that he is at home. Giannis, we know what his liabilities are. Uh, is he going to be able to pull through and have his best game of his career to take the Bucs to the conference finals? We're going to need more 
uh, of the zero three-point attempts from Giannis. We're going to need him hitting some free throws. He was okay tonight, I believe six of ten. So if he can do that, it will put Milwaukee in a position to win the basketball game. We'll see what they get out of Brooke Lopez. And Chris Middleton, he, he was the X factor tonight. He more than likely will be the X factor in game seven. If he struggles like he has up to this point on the road, they will lose the game. If he doesn't, we'll probably have a one or two possession game down the stretch. Uh, so just fantastic basketball. And since we left the podcast on Tuesday, tons of basketball news broke down as we were very high on the Phoenix Suns and in the position they're in with teams all around them being affected by injury, uh, being affected by inconsistency. It looked like the Phoenix Suns were sitting very pretty. And then all of a sudden, news came down yesterday that Chris Paul will be out indefinitely in the COVID-19 safety protocol. So does that mean he tested positive for COVID-19? It looks like that's the case. It was reported by the NBA that only one person tested positive. Is that Chris Paul? It was also reported he was vaccinated. So we don't really know the entire details and the entire truth up to this point of the story. We just know uh, that the Phoenix Suns are very fortunate that uh, they don't have to play any games right now. And there will be a game six in Staples Center, I believe, tomorrow night. Uh, as the Clippers last night, they had a huge road victory in Utah without Kawhi Leonard, as we talked about on Tuesday. Kawhi uh, had a knee injury that visibly saw him shaken up in game four. He finished the game. But it's serious enough where it looks like he'll be out the rest of the playoffs. We don't know that 100%, but that's what the reports look like. As The Clippers have a very nice opportunity to advance to the conference finals against Phoenix. There's just so much uncertainty. Spencer the Wiz, go ahead and jump in. Tons of basketball news since we left the podcast on Tuesday. Chris Paul and safety protocol. We don't know when he will return. He's had this well-needed rest since they shut out in four games to nothing the Denver Nuggets. And now he's in this COVID protocol. So this is a big question mark. Lots of NBA news yesterday. Stan Van Gundy, after one year, disappointing one year with all that talent in New Orleans, he's gone. Today reported Rick Carlisle, championship head coach, fantastic coach uh, with a great reputation in the NBA of the Dallas Mavericks. He's gone along with uh, Nelson in the front office. It looks like big shakeups in Dallas. What's the next move for them? A guy that you've mentioned on this podcast, Spence, that I like a whole lot, Kenny Atkinson. Where will he land? Will he get a job, even opportunity? As we've heard all kinds of names in the coaching carousel with about six openings in the NBA available. And I haven't heard much noise about Kenny Atkinson, but he's a guy that's very more than qualified to take one of these positions and maybe lead a team to the next step. We talked about it off the air, uh, about the young guys really taking control of organizations. We'll get into that in a little bit, but let's start off with tonight's action, Spence. We talked about it, and I would love for you to cut up some of my my bites here, Spence, as I as I talked to you about last night's game. We'll get into that, but like I said, let's start off with tonight as a, a fantastic game five uh, between Brooklyn and Milwaukee when Brooklyn won the matchup and Kevin Durant had a historic night, but how quickly is that forgotten? Now that Milwaukee's pushed it to a game seven. So the momentum swings back a little bit in Milwaukee's favor because there's still no Kyrie Irving. You're still playing Kevin Durant quite a few minutes. He's going to be asked to do a lot again in game seven. Jeff Green, not nearly the performance he had in game six, two of nine from the field. James Harden, more of a con of a contributor. But Brooklyn held to 89 points, Spence. And Chris Middleton stepped up for Milwaukee tonight. I told you the series was far from over. And we will have a game seven where Milwaukee – has a real opportunity to get one on the road in advance here. 
Uh, they're going to need Kevin Durant to be Superman again, and it's a lot to ask from a guy that you have not played in back-to-back games the entire season. He's not asked to play back-to-back, but we're talking about 40-plus minutes spent on only one day break. It's a lot to ask for KD. Uh, can he do it? Yes, but Joe Harris hasn't contributed as of late. Blake Griffin hasn't been as effective as he was in game one, and they're going to need more than three minutes and five minutes, respectively, out of a Mike James, a Nick Claxton, a, a Bruce Brown. I don't think that's enough. I don't think the starting five tonight without KD going for 50, can carry you. Remember, Spence, Milwaukee had a huge lead all the way up until the fourth quarter in that game five before Durant had to bring them back. I don't know if they'll have it in them again if they're down in a game seven. That is a lot to ask for Brooklyn, and that's why I said great win in game five, but this series is far from over. Milwaukee is the healthier team. I think they're the deeper team at this point, the way that Steve Nash is distributing his minutes and the Milwaukee Bucks could overcome all of this and find themselves in the conference finals. It's a one-game series now, Spence, in Brooklyn, Nets and Milwaukee. What did you think about the win tonight for Milwaukee, and what are you looking for in Game 7 to send this uh, whichever team, Brooklyn or Milwaukee, to the conference finals? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of thoughts you know, about this series, and this really speaks to the ups and downs of basketball and how I think reactionary I am – Maybe we all are about the game and that when something happens in a seven game series, it feels like it's everything and that's going to carry through the entire series when every game is so individualized. I'm not surprised that Milwaukee won this. I mean, they're at home, the whole desperation factor, and there's not a lot of pressure, obviously, you know, well, I mean, there is pressure on Milwaukee, but there's more pressure, you know, to win the game versus we'll take this to a game seven and see, see what happens. Kevin Durant's had a great game tonight, actually shot 50%. Scored over 30, but it's crazy that that's not enough. But that's also the reality of the way the Brooklyn Nets are made up of, right? When you have three super max players or three max players, whatever you want to call them, if one of them goes down, that means the rest of your team is going to be thin because everybody else is on flyer contracts like Jeff Green. And, you know, you're going to get those one-off games. The case, maybe, maybe it's even Landry Shamit who was over two in his 22 minutes, but – I feel like you can kind of get that random performance, but not on a consistent basis because there's a reason these guys don't have bigger contracts than the actual than the absolute minimum for them to you know get under the cap space. This is one of the biggest tests we've ever seen in NBA history of a bunch of kind of superstar divas coming together, some of the most talented players. And then when you think about each player individually, they've played with all-time greats, at least MVPs. Uh, James Harden, you know, coincided played with Westbrook and Kevin Durant, but Kevin Durant's always had an MVP on this team, whether that's Steph Curry or uh, James Harden, I guess, uh, or Westbrook. The list goes on, right? He's played with all times great. Now they're playing together, and now that one's hurt, they got to come together, and James Harden is kind of limping, which feels like, you know, kind of repentance in a certain way for coming out of the shape. So out of season, like those kinds of injuries just seem to catch up with you. And this is it. I mean, it's all on the line. It doesn't look like Kyrie has a chance in the world to come back in game seven. They're going to have to try to find a way to make it happen. Here's the thing. I mean, I think James Harden has been fairly healthy throughout his career, but Kyrie and Kevin Durant haven't. So if they do lose in game seven, which is possible, but it doesn't feel like it because I I still doubt the kind of attitude that you need to win, like with Giannis and also just the kind of the physical makeup of their team, like can Giannis actually lead a team to the finals because he just doesn't have a good offensive skill set? That'll obviously put be put to the test in game seven. But to wrap Absolutely. up my thoughts on the Nets here, 
Yeah, if it doesn't work this year, in a year where there's a lot of injuries, I'm not sure if it's going to work again in the future. I can't imagine KD stays as healthy as he does like this next year. And certainly not Kyrie. And if James Harden now has the injury bug, this is only this is only going to get worse, which is crazy because going into the playoffs when they were all healthy, you know, quote unquote healthy, it looked like they were going to win the next three finals. And now we're not sure if they're going to win any. That's just the nature of basketball. Yeah, it's Spence, in my opinion. I'm going to look back, and you can choose to or not, but that big uh, you know, explosion I had after game three, how important it was. I even said before the Kyrie injury, you just don't know what may happen. Injuries may happen. He goes down. Harden already down. In game three, you had the three-point lead. You had an opportunity uh, to foul Giannis and probably find a way to grind out that game three victory. Instead, Milwaukee takes it, and instead of going up 3-0, it was 2-1, and now we have a winner-take-all game seven. Uh, of course, you can't look back to one isolated moment, but how important it was and how important it is, the little things in a seven-game series because of the unknown. You don't know who's going to go down. You don't know what's going to happen. You have to take advantage of every opportunity and every moment. Look at the Clippers right now. I, I mean, and that's why, Spence, you can't take any game for granted, any possession for granted because – we're one game away now from the Brooklyn Nets season being over. A lot of futures tickets in the toilet. Uh, like you said, this big dream of this super team coming together in Brooklyn uh, will be over, and it'll give a shot in the arm to Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks. I tend to lean with what you're saying. I think uh, Brooklyn should take care of business on their home floor, but we don't know. We do not know what's going to happen. Game sevens are full of anything. Uh, if Chris Middleton has even half the performance he had tonight, because he's been terrible in their yeah. losses, Spence, terrible. If he has half the performance he has tonight, this will be a very close game. And we don't know how the refs are going to call it. I mean, Brooklyn was only 8 of 14 from the free throw line tonight. Not impressive at all. That will absolutely not get it done in game seven. I expect Kevin Durant to come out and do what he does in big games, really be on point. Uh, I thought statistically he was okay, but two of eight from three, it, I don't think we'll get it done in, in a game seven. O of two from the free throw line certainly won't get it done. Uh, so we'll see how the game's called uh, officiating-wise in game seven. Giannis is going to have to have statistically another similar performance, uh, You know, going for over 30, almost 20 rebounds, no three-point attempts, which I thought was the biggest key stat. 60% uh, from the free throw line is much better than he's been up to this point. So I think it's going to be – Spence, this is what we live and die for as basketball fans. A game seven, two top teams in the Eastern Conference. Many people have talked about for years uh, it being a, a walk in the Eastern Conference for LeBron and for other teams. There's no walk this year between these two teams because it's going to come down to a winner-take-all game seven. And how else would – nobody else would like it any different if you're a big basketball fan. So it's going to test uh, – it's going to test the fortitude and the grit of Mike Boonholzer, the head coach, Steve Nash, the head coach on the other side. What strings will we press? How will we micro-analyze this game seven if it's a close game and, and, and really pick apart what could have been done for the losing side as opposed to the winning side? So that's going to be interesting conversation when we come back next week to see who will be representing that side of the Eastern Conference in the finals. So hopefully you'll be glued uh, to your TV watching. I will as well. We'll be texting and seeing who will advance. I'm going to lead towards Brooklyn, but it will not uh, be any surprise at all. As I anticipated, letting Milwaukee hang around, now you're in an opportunity where it's a crapshoot. We have to see uh, the little small dynamics that really set 
apart the champions from the pretenders. And this is Giannis's moment, Spence. We were very hard on him after game six, rightfully so. They got the win tonight, but neither of those matter. What matters is will you advance and have your give yourself a chance at another series and a chance to represent your conference in the NBA Finals. It all comes down to game seven, how aggressive, how much of that killer instinct and that juice will Giannis have? Will he elevate the play of his teammates? Will Chris Middleton step up to the plate? Or he will, will he be the guy that uh, I've called him to be is a no-show in big games? That's why I can't put my stake in Milwaukee. I don't think he'll have a repeat performance uh, because it's going to – I think Brooklyn was very, very high from that game six win, uh, having Harden back. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm very excited to see what takes place. And like we said, living for a game seven, Milwaukee, Brooklyn. And that'll take place, I believe, on Saturday on ABC. Is that right, Spence? Uh, I can check real quick where the times will be. But I also just wanted to say, shout out to me, my two favorite best bets from this game did hit. I had Katie's under assist total six and a half. It had been 18 games, 18 straight games since he had over six and a half assists in the playoffs. And uh, that actually doesn't include when he went down early in the finals. So that one hit. And also had under on Giannis's 33 and a half points. The only time he had scored over 33 points in consecutive games in the playoffs or the last two games. So he did not extend that streak to three. And that also hit. Uh, so I always kind of have those in my back pocket. Maybe I'll start posting them on Twitter. Yeah, very good call there, Spence. Nice job. And hopefully you can keep posting them on Twitter at Spence the Wiz. And then I'll retweet them at Brad the Believer and we will follow um, Spence and see how he does in his playoff picks. Spence, historic game and comeback last night in Philadelphia. The Atlanta Hawks, they take a series lead of three games to two, 109-106, and in monumental comeback fashion, down 20-plus points throughout the game. Outscored Philadelphia 40-19 in the fourth quarter. Trey Young has 39 points, and the Atlanta Hawks take all the wind out of the sails of the Philadelphia 76ers and all the cross Sports talk today and news was the criticism of Ben Simmons. We talked about it, Spence, and did I not call it right on the dot? We can rewind and take the clip that I said the two most important people in this series for Philadelphia was Seth Curry and Joel Embiid, and they happen to be the only guys to score for Philadelphia in the second half. Tobias Harris, two of 11, four points. He is who I thought he was in this game at least, and it just happened exactly how I anticipated with Philadelphia. Seth Curry is the X factor, and he could not carry the team on his own. A guy who is a sixth man and most of the time. This is your, your number two guy last night in a huge game next to Joel Embiid. Ben Simmons, uh, non-existent, 4-14 from free throw. So at least Nate McMillan knows what he's doing and how to get a win. In a close game, you foul Ben Simmons to a T. This is why Nate McMillan is a top-of-the-line coach that we've talked about because he's now got in Atlanta, where I believe since the All-Star break, less than five losses for Atlanta on their home court. That crowd will be rocking. They will have all the momentum, and the Philadelphia 76ers are going to have to get their best effort up and down to take away the storm of energy and momentum because with that crowd rocking – Man, some Trey Young threes and alley oops. It's just going to be too much for Philadelphia. They're going to have to need, they're going to have to have an all time performance from more than Embiid and Seth Curry. So, who's going to be the third guy in game seven? Because Curry and Embiid will do what they do. Who is going to be that third guy? Who can you count on from Philadelphia? They're going to need a third guy, Spence, in Atlanta to win game six. And who's it going to be for Philadelphia? I don't know yet. 
We're going to have to see what, what happens, but let's give Atlanta credit for making that comeback on the road and, of course, criticize Philadelphia where it's deserved. I've been high on Atlanta. Uh, I wasn't sure that they were going to win this game, but I did anticipate it going to Game 7. I thought at the beginning they would win the series. They certainly look in control after that win, and they've got a lot of talent. They've got guys that can score the basketball, young guys. Gallinari, huge shot made in that game. Uh, he had 16 on the night. Lou Williams, again, uh, another energizer off the bench, 23 minutes, 7-11 of the field, 15 points, a plus 31 plus minus for Lou Williams. What a great acquisition that looks like from the Atlanta Hawks front office trading uh, Rajon Rondo for Lou Williams as the, the Hawks, we didn't know at that time, would be this playoff ready, a team that was on the outside looking in, Spence, when Lloyd Pierce was the coach. And they make the, tra- the transition to Nate McMillan, and they're on fire, and they're one win away from playing in the Eastern Conference Finals, and they will more than likely be the healthier team uh, if they take on the Nets. And we'll have to look at the regular season matchup between them and Milwaukee, but I certainly think Atlanta has a puncher's chance, if not more, to go to the finals if they can take uh, one more game in this series against Philadelphia and knock off the number one seed. Uh, Bogdanovich, not a great performance in game six. But uh, Collins, 7-12 from the field, 19 points. And again, like we said, Trey Young, 39 points, 17 of 19 from the free throw line. We talked about how important it was. They shot 78%, 22 of 28. And on the contrary, the Sixers, 23 of 38, only 60%. So uh, do, you, do you jump on everybody else, criticize Ben Young who do you, or Ben Simmons? Who do you give more credit to, uh, the, the, the Atlanta Hawks for the win? Or, or more critique for Philadelphia for blowing the loss? Well, you can blame a lot of people for the 76ers. They scored two points in the last 4.15 of that game, which doesn't sound real. And the two points came from Seth Curry's garbage time basket at the end. So the reality of the situation, they went scoreless in the last four minutes of a playoff basketball game. That doesn't feel possible. Tobias Harris was red hot to start the playoffs. One of their best players, in my opinion, Four points on two of 11 shooting. That's just not going to get it done. And yes, a lot of the blame does need to go on Ben Simmons. It's not like he's missing shots, obviously, because he doesn't take any. Zero field goal attempts in the last two fourth quarters. So that's half of a game, right, where he has not a half attempted a single field goal in that quarter. That also, in my opinion, just can't happen. Look, there's a big difference between not being aggressive offensively and being a liability. Tony Allen in Memphis for a long time was a liability, hurt them so much. First team all defense, the whole nine yards, and we all remember it. But there was a time where the defense now shifts. Once they realize you're not going to do anything because you're not looking for your shot, the way you play defense changes. So when that's the case, then you're going to have a hard time scoring points because there's one less offensive player technically on the the, uh, floor. Tony Allen at the end of his little tenure with Memphis, I guess you could say at the end of his career – uh, did shoot a little bit, at least made himself a threat. Being a threat in basketball is such a valuable thing. You don't have to be an actual threat, but being a threat is what m- changes the way that a defense targets and attacks the way you play the game. Look, Ben Simmons doesn't have to become an outside shooter necessarily. He doesn't have to become knockdown, but look at the way Matt Johnson played. He loves to compare himself to Matt Johnson or other people in the organization do. And it's not like Magic Johnson was ever this, you know, three-level multi-dimensional scorer, he had his kind of set shots. He shot the three a little bit, never, I think, in the 40% in his career, but he did shoot them and he made some of them. And then obviously he had stuff like the hook shot. Ben Simmons has to realize that 
there's a big difference between the way he's playing and the way he could be playing. He is so like such the great intangibles of being such a good player. He was so high on my 25 under 25 list when I made that like kind of, I think in the middle of the season or a little bit right after the all-star break, I was so confident in him because he does feel like the only player under 25 years old that could win both an MVP and a defensive player of the year in his career. But the way that he plays now, he's way, way down on my list. It's crazy to think that a guy has an all-time great game, but an all-time worst mind, in my opinion. Spence, th- this takes you way down the list. When you're in, in crunch time, in the big moments in the playoffs, and this is how you perform, you're MVP, that's laughable, this guy, ever. How long have we been talking about him working on a shot now? Five, six years? I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean... I hate when I when I hear analysts talk about, oh, he just got to put in work on the jump shot. It, it'll come. Maybe for some guys, but not everybody. Clearly, this guy is not going to become a shooter. He, he just whatever, – for whatever reason, he's not going to be able to shoot the basketball. If he hasn't done it by now, it's not going to happen. Lonzo Ball in two years was able to change it up and went 40% from three this year and really improved his shot. Okay, Simmons has had five years. It's not happening. So yes, does he have all the the talent and the tools? Yes, but this guy is gonna—he's gonna be out. He's gonna be traded, and he's never gonna be the number one on a franchise. Never. He's never gonna win an MVP. It's not gonna happen, and he's never gonna be the number one guy, Spence. It's not gonna happen. I'm telling you right now, it's never gonna happen that this guy—he does not have the juice at all. No juice for this guy. And I don't know—I don't know what to say. I don't see anything that he can do. to be the number two and, and be the star of this series in a game six or seven, or be somebody that we talk about as a key important factor for the win uh, for why Philly came back and won. I mean, you would need this guy to be all world defensively, have LeBron uh, chase down blocks. I mean, just absolute um, tip in dunks on the offensive glass. I'm talking 15 rebound, 15 assist game and, and just, come off the page dominant and then knock down at least 65% free throws. Spence, it's in this guy's head now. He's fragile mentally, in my opinion, and I think it's going to play itself out the rest of this series. And I don't know what it looks like moving forward. I don't I don't believe if you can't improve your shot in five years that it's going to all of a sudden happen. Uh, we talked – didn't he have an over-under of like two threes – this year in the NBA, did that even cash? I have no idea. Did he even hit one three the entire year? Maybe you could check that out for me, Spence. Did he yeah. even hit one three the entire season? I say no. Uh, I don't know that for sure, but I don't think he hit one three the entire year. It's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic for a guy that has decent shooting uh, form uh, to to not be able to hit a shot. Spence, what did you come up with here? Three threes this season. He's uh, let's see how many. I, he attempted a few more than that, but. Yeah, three threes, one against Orlando, one against Cleveland, and one against Milwaukee. That's amazing. I can't believe he hit three the entire year. So I think I think the over-under was three and a half. I don't know. Uh, I'd have to really search on that one. But it's not enough, Spence. It's not enough four or 14 from free throw. This is just insane. It's, it's beyond, yeah, it's insane. And I, I told you the most important piece is Seth Curry. Is it? Can this guy carry them on the road? Can he go for forty? I don't know. You tell me. Yeah. Here, here's the thing again about Ben Simmons. If he, even if he could just hit his free throws, maybe 
we're having a completely different conversation. There's a whole idea of being ineffective on offense, but when you're out on the floor actively hurting your team, that makes you worse than being nothing offensively, right? Because you can't hit your free throws. It's a legit strategy. Four for 14 shouldn't be physically possible for a basketball player. That goes beyond yips to me. That means you're not practicing your free throws for whatever reason. I don't know what you're doing in your offseason. I know he enjoys the Hollywood life. And maybe it's a simple fact that basketball just isn't the most important thing to him, which who are you or I to say that it should be? But in terms of a franchise and running your team, that's a really big problem. You want your players to have that be the most important thing in their life. And I don't know what you do. I mean, here's the kind of reality of the situation in that the team isn't built for someone like Ben Simmons and the fact that you have a dominant center where technically you'd kind of like him to be a po- like a point center. And, you know, if you want to make the team like that, where he spends most of his time in the paint, which could be effective. I think I've seen him a few times. He doesn't look bad in the post at all. But you can't have two guys out there, obviously, with Joel Embiid there. And then you have to have a bunch of shooters around him. Like, I think that's the way your team makeup needs to be for him. So maybe a trade for who knows, maybe a Bradley Beal like that. I could see that as a realistic possibility where the Wizards then think, okay, we have a young star or who we believe to be a star. If we can build a shooting team around him, then we can move forward being that Bradley Beal isn't going to win a championship with us anyways. I feel like that'll be some of the predominant talks, especially if Atlanta bows out to uh, Atlanta here, if Philly bows out to Atlanta. I don't know if I said that right the first time. Uh, So those are kind of the possibilities that I could see happening where Philly takes on an aging star who still has a little bit left in the tank. And then the team that grabs him is going to attempt to actually make a team that only fits to his skill sets. But Regardless of all of that, he has to be able to hit free throws. Like that's got to be the baseline. Spence Elton Brand, Doc Rivers are going to have to sit down and have some serious conversation about the direction they want to go if they get knocked out of the playoffs this early. Um, and, and what Which to do with Ben? Ben Simmons. If if you're Philadelphia, do you even want a Kristaps Porzingis, somebody that can shoot the ball and stretch it? Um, that doesn't need the ball to be dominant? And, and how would Ben Simmons fit in in Dallas? Do you give Finney Smith, uh, Porzingis, and um, the other long guy? Uh, I can't think of his name. Dwight, uh, Powell. You know, uh, you'd have to think that- of a lot more than that for uh, Ben Simmons, in my opinion. It's crazy to think about his value, but he is still a young guy with who will probably win a defensive player of the year in his career is certainly one of the best passers, is one of the best guys in the open court. So none of those guys come close to the value of Ben Simmons. I, I, I don't think Dallas is in a good position at all. I literally think they're going to have to sit out the next couple seasons, you know, sit out in quotes, I mean to say, and let those their bad contracts expire out. Or trade them for all expiring this year. If you can do that, that's kind of ideal. But the, the other problem to talk about Dallas, you know, for two seconds is that Luca is putting so much pressure on them. It's not possible to make a team that fast because Luca was drafted to a team that had a ton of issues with the way their roster is made up. And they've kind of perpetuated that issue in an attempt to make him as happy as possible in the short term when they probably should have cooled off, waited for all of these horrible players, to, not horrible players, but really bottom tier players to leave, like not a real playoff roster and go from there. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think Ben Simmons would get traded to Dallas. It would have to be someone much more high profile. It would have to be some sort of name for sure, uh, like someone who's not happy. A good player is not happy on a bad team. <clears throat> Spence, you mentioned Dallas. 
let's keep it there for a minute. Rick Carlisle, head coach, uh, very well respected head coach uh, in the NBA. He's he's gone. He's no longer the the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. What's going on with Dallas here? I mean, is is Luca that disgruntled with the front office and coach? Why though? Why is he disgruntled with them? What what? Where do these guys clash? Rick Carlisle is is known as one of the top ten coaches in the league. He'll be moving on. And what is the next move for Mark Cuban and the Mavericks? I mean, did he not come out publicly here recently and say there's no problems? And clearly there's problems uh, as there seems to be a little bit of a gutting of some important pieces. What's going on here in your opinion in Dallas? Yeah, it, it is hard to say. I mean, the first reports is that Luca, uh, it, the two guys who got fired actually had no problem seeing what Luca had and that. Uh, there's this guy, he's a famous sports better. I can't think of his name. It starts with a B. It's kind of complicated. Famous, uh, I think, poker player. Mark Cuban hired him in 2017. And there's been some, scu- not scuffles, but some really bad moments between him and Luca because he feels like this individual is running the franchise instead of the GM. So, <laughs> I don't know. I've never seen a young player influence a team like this. I mean, we know LeBron's gotten coaches fired like David Blatt. But that was when LeBron was established. He had won a championship by that time. Yeah, he'd won multiple with Miami before going back uh, with Cleveland to win the championship there. So, but I mean, here is the reality of the situation. And I think these young players are starting to understand that, say the same thing about the Pelicans and that they know how much money they bring in. They don't see all of it, of course. They make a lot of money in their contracts, but it's more of not so much the money they bring in versus what they would leave if they weren't on the team. Like if the Dallas Mavericks didn't have Luka Doncic, most players would not know a single name on their roster. Most people probably don't. Kristaps Porzingis knows his, is like an infamy, but not for a good thing. Like that's why people know him. So uh, you take him out. And I think Luka just understands that. And he has like all the position of power. This was a kid who played professional ball at 14 years old. He was a phenom. People love this guy. So he already has the kind of ego, I guess, that you need of LeBron James in order to really control a franchise. I just don't know if that's such a good idea because, I mean, think back to when you were 21 and I'm only 24, but I can even think back to when I was 21. I probably wouldn't trust myself to run an NBA franchise, certainly from that perspective, when you don't actually know about the day in and out of running a team. You can see it on the court and it feels like you're influencing it, but there's so much that goes on between the relationship between GMs, the trading situations, the long-term, like the long scope of it, right, of players. Like those things are so important. And I think players push general managers and front offices in certain directions. But it's not not to say that the Mavericks can't replace these guys with some decent names. I think they're out there. General manager is always the hardest to measure because, I mean, we know them as names. Most of them we don't know. Like most people, you have no idea who the GM of what team is. Uh, so when they hire somebody, I mean, it's all just going to be completely opinion-based. Coaching's a little easier because you see it directly on the court, but most of us have no idea what goes on in the back. And uh, I don't know if Luke is the guy to kind of remedy that for them, but clearly Mark Cuban is bending to the will of this kid and like almost degenerately at this point, maybe setting a bad example of the future of their franchise. Uh, so I don't know what direction they're going to go in, but clearly they want a fresh start in Dallas, but I don't think anything's going to get fixed at least next year, given the way their salary cap situation is. Would your gut instinct tell you before making a move like this, they at least would have to have a candidate in mind to replace Carlisle as the head coach? Or do you think that they're starting from scratch here? 
No, I think the biggest name has come up as their assistant coach, which is always kind of one of the more popular decisions. And I think everybody's becoming obsessed or NBA stars, young kids are becoming uh, enamored with the idea of player coaches. So Chauncey Billups' name is just getting passed around like a beach ball at the Nickelback concert right now. His name is also uh, in the uh, Dallas conversation. They're, they want players as coaches because a lot of these guys feel like they don't need coaches, especially you heard Kyrie say it about Steve Nash at the beginning of the season and that he's just kind of there. They want guys who will give them the uh, opportunity to rest because uh, they talk about the Pelicans, right? Like Zion, they said it was too rigid. And I'm sure Rick Carlisle is the same way. Like it just the old style playing basketball doesn't mesh with these new AAU kids and the way they're brought up playing basketball. It's less about respecting the coach and more about what they got to do for them, which I don't know if it's a good thing. I don't know if those kinds of guys will win championships. Uh, there's a lot of young names here. Uh, Devin Booker is not one of them. So a lot of the youngsters are demanding a lot and not getting a lot in return. And I'm speaking about, you know, Luca, who has not won a playoff uh, series, and Zion, who hasn't even made the playoffs. So it doesn't seem to be working out so far for them. Speaking of Zion, Spence, in New Orleans, Stan Van Gundy out after one year. Did you hear the reports of Zion's family really giving their input on what's going on in New Orleans? Can you tell us about uh, what his family came out and who said what and what's going on in New Orleans? What's their next move? Yeah, so this dropped on The Athletic. I did read this article today. Uh, uh, the way they describe it is, <laughs> I don't know how this how, what this even means, but quote-unquote certain family members want him out of New Orleans. All I can say is that if I make it big time in sports, I, I hope that my family never does something like this for me. It's like they don't touch his money. And when they say stuff like that, it seems like they do. It's like you want to get your family's opinion on a lot of things, but it's so strange. It's such a weird world we live in where it comes out that your family member wants you to do this, that, and that. I know he's a young kid, so maybe he kind of leans on his family more for these decisions, but I don't know. I mean, Zion reportedly was unhappy with Van Gundy, and so was Brandon Egram. I said he coached you hard. Again, this new age of player kind of going along the Kyrie route where you don't want to work hard, but you still want to be successful. I don't know what their plan is. I don't think a more lackadaisical uh, approach is the answer for them. It seems that that's what they're going to get. And maybe they'll go for the shot. Like they would love Shotzi Bills, but I don't think he would be interested in that job. I know it's a young, promising team, but I don't see that kind of killer instinct with their core players, which are so talented. Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson. I like Josh Hardy. He had a kind of an off season. Uh, but, you know, they're also a team that with a really bad roster makeup, like I think over well over 20 million is going to go to Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams next year. And I've talked about this in many, many episodes and, and just the situation of what that actually means. You could say, Oh, come on, get rid of him like that. And that'll solve your problems. You can't do that in basketball. Julio Jones was traded to the Titans for second round picks. You can't trade players like that in the NBA. They have to get the same amount of money or like really close. I think it's within 5% back. So it's just not going to work out for them. I don't know how things can change for them. Uh, I don't know who they're going to go for, but I also just don't like the situation. Spencer the Wiz, you're frozen there, so we'll continue this conversation. Hopefully, uh, you'll be able to jump back on here in a minute. But, uh, yeah, Stan Van Gundy, are you still there, Spence? Uh, my internet just kind of bowed out for a second. I have no idea where I got cut out there. 
I was yeah, going I mean, on a, a, a rant. <laughs> so uh, let me get this right. Some of the reports is Van Gundy was too hard on them. Is this what you were hearing? Yeah, and it, it caused a lot of risks. Also, the JJ Reddick uh, trade did too. They mentioned that in the Athletic article. So they, I think they described it as rigid, like too demanding and rigid. And that was something like that along. I'm paraphrasing. I know rigid was one of the adjectives and something was close to the other one. So they just thought he was too tough on him. Wow. That's uh, yeah. I, I don't know who you're going to get to come in there. Maybe Becky Hammond uh, and, and not be as tough. I mean, I know that may come off as uh, a little biased, but I, I mean, who, who are you going to bring in? Who's on the candidate list that's going to go soft on them or not as hard? I mean, can you think of somebody? This, this isn't a good situation. Like if I was a free agent coach, I wouldn't want to go to the Pelicans. It's like, but you it got talent so, there. that's what I'm saying. It seems so easy. It's like, wow, look how young and talented they are. But I wouldn't want to coach for a player that has that much power as Zion does or Luka Doncic. It's like you're always like looking over your shoulder like, oh, geez, am I going to get fired this year if I don't win this game on uh, like a national primetime game and get like destroyed by Colin Cowherd and the and a bunch afterwards and like take it personally. It's not conducive to a good situation. Uh, so they'll probably hire someone within their system. That's my guess, because I don't think even Jason Kidd would be interested in a job like this. Spence, uh, let, let's hit, hit the hardwood again in, in the second part of last night's playoff games. In one of the more improbable finishes, nobody really expected the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard to go into Utah and take the game. Paul George making an appearance in one of his best playoff performances of date, up to date, 37 points, 16 boards, 5 assists. The Clippers get the road win. They take a three games to two series lead, 119-111. Over the Jazz, the Jazz hit 10 threes in the first quarter, and it still wasn't enough as they went 37 and 36 points respectively in the first quarter. Just an absolute shootout. Bogdan Bondanovich, I believe, had seven or eight threes in the first quarter. It was absolutely insane. But the Clippers hung tough the whole way, and they won 119-111. And they have control of this series one game away from going to the conference finals. Can they do it though without Kawhi Leonard? Reggie Jackson was sensational last night for the Clippers. This guy has made a really big difference here. He was 8 of 15 from the field, 22 points. Trevor Mann added 13. Marcus Morris Sr., 40 minutes, 25 points. Man, they're getting contributions from the others here, Spence. Luke Kennard had a couple big threes, added six points. They got just enough of what they needed, and now they have control of this series after taking care of game five. Yeah, it's so easy to forget that the Clippers have the most uh, well-balanced roster, certainly the most talented in the West. Uh, but this really was about Paul George. And, you know, playoff B, we all say it. We all talk about how bad he is in the playoffs. But this was a performance that made us, or made me, I should say, reminded me of his day with the Pacers. I mean, he made his name and he made his career over there. It all fell apart, like, as soon as he went to OKC, where they expected him to be that, although he kind of played second fiddle. He was always the best player on the Pacers, no doubt. Uh, Danny Granger was the best player in the Pacers for a very long time, and then Paul George promptly took over. I mean, that, that's a classic. That, that team, man, there's so many uh, funny moments, like so many players that just uh, were good but couldn't make it happen for them. And, you know, that's why he left the Pacers to make it big. And we expected him to carry that kind of – part of him with him to other teams and until last night I mean that guy's been gone for a very long time now 
Uh, and he was one of the league's best players, and he still could be technically, though I think he's tailed off quite a bit, especially when you consider the way he has played in the postseason. But they got it done. But uh, as impressive as play, uh, you know, Paul George was, and he was, it's more about the Utah Jazz. That's just not a game that you can afford to lose or you know, you can't win those first two games with a full-powered Clippers team and then lose this one at home. You're putting yourself in a really tough position. I think they will be able to force a Game 7, but I don't know what's missing from them. Uh, and it seems like everybody's pretty engaged. Donovan Mitchell just has to be a lot better. He's chucking shots, and they got plenty of shooters. Like, they don't need him to be that aggressive offensively, especially with uh, Jordan Clarkson, who's known as a guy who chucks up a lot of shots, but he's had two very good games in the last two performances. Like kind of, uh, you know, they need him to pass the ball a little bit more. Five assists is decent enough, but he's their franchise guy. 414 from downtown for Donovan Mitchell. He, he is dragging them at the moment. That's how I feel. Donovan Mitchell is a guy who I have a ton of respect for, and he's very high on my 25, under 25 list. Uh, but not happy with what I'm seeing so far. He's definitely getting dropped a few spots. I may do another one when the season's over uh, for 25 under 25. Yeah, we'll, we'll both revisit that, Spence. How much credit do you give to Ty Lue if the Clippers can come out of this series and, and represent the West in the conference finals? Yeah, that's crazy. I've been so critical of Ty Lue. I mean, if you go back even to the Cleveland days when he took over, their defensive rating got worse. Like, they really were not as good of a team. They were a great team with David Blatt. That, I mean – it was really just his ability to connect with, uh, you know, high star players, really like a player coach, right? Like they kind of see the traditional one now. Uh, but hey, look, you got to give him credit. I mean, down 0-2 twice to be able to rally the troops. I mean, that's kind of, I guess, his moniker is being able. He's like the opposite of Doc Rivers, who blows 3-1 leads. And now it's like Ty Lue's good at, you know, coming back down from big series deficits. I don't know what it is. It doesn't seem like he's a great play-by-play, -play, you know, kind of timeout guy. That may end up really killing them. Who knows? We'll have to see about that. Because I'm thinking back to that, you know, almost game winner where Kawhi chucked a shot from the corner with like two seconds left. Uh, so, no, but yeah, you, you can't ignore it at that point, especially with Kawhi down. To be able to adjust your game plan on the fly like that when you're not expecting it is, is very impressive. And I'll give credit where credit is due. That's Spencer the Wiz. Follow him on Twitter with that name, Spencer the Wiz. I'm Brad Restituto at Brad the Believer. Make sure you subscribe and like the YouTube channel. You can search Brad the Believer under there. www.twitch.tv slash chrislandryfootball is where we broadcast live. Give us some support there every Tuesday and Thursday, 9 to 10 o'clock Pacific time. And if you miss us live and you're taking a shower, going to work, waking up, going to bed, check out the podcast version of the rest stop. Any of the podcasting platforms, search Landry Football Conference call. We will be on there. And there's the email of how you can contact the show. Also, Spence, you talked about the list, top 25 NBA players, under 25, 25 or under. Uh, let's hit that list, Spence, if we can. And let's go, uh, for, if we can, let's hit your list, uh, 25 to 1, and we'll kind of uh, react to that a little bit. And then if you've got the ESPN list, we'll talk about some of these guys that stick out, most notably some of the guys maybe in the playoffs, and then some guys that can really rise that list and maybe crack the top five if they're not there right now. Yeah, so this list was in April, uh, right when ESPN made their list. And I do have it on there, so we can take it out uh, later. So if you want, we can just go one by one. Uh, you know, obviously, you see here Luka Doncic. These stats were at the time in April, so 
I think it's pretty much a consensus at this point. This guy is like the modern day Larry Bird, the the guard version of Larry Bird, if you will. That's how yeah, I yeah. I think we it. can agree. We can agree on that absolutely. Yeah, so I think that's pretty much consensus. I am very critical of Zion, probably more than ninety percent of the population. Uh, but I still have him at number two just because of his physical profile. If he is able to kind of figure it out, then this guy will certainly be towards the top of the list. He just has a long way to go for me. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I'd have him too yet. I kind of like uh, I like the the Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell in that two conversation. Zion would definitely be in my top five, um, and I don't I don't think anybody's necessarily wrong. But for me personally, I would still have Devin Booker and um, Donovan Mitchell off the top of my head ahead of him. And if there's any other guys that I can think of that I'd put ahead of him as we go on the list, I'll let you know. Trey Young would be very close in that conversation mm -hmm. he's certainly wow. in that realm i think he's just a touch just a touch below uh mitchell and booker cool all right so moving on to number three i do have devin booker uh so i know you think i hate them you know you, i think you uh you think i hate the suns i don't believe in them <laughs> but i i love uh, devin booker and he just has an elite scoring ability probably if not the he has the second best scoring ability on his team I think he's a pretty developed passer, and I think he has that mentality that you need to win a championship. Like he wants to win desperately and very badly, so that's why he's so high. Like those kinds of intangibles mean a whole bunch to me, not just the actual product on the court. Spence, you—I you, mean, if you remember back, I've been high on the Suns even before the bubble. I've liked them a lot, and I've been a huge Devin Booker fan. I've told you—I uh, believe I've told you—I've definitely told a lot of people my favorite all-time player and my favorite player is Clay Thompson. I think Devin Booker is is as close to Klay Thompson as a lot of people, uh, as anybody, as far as comparison-wise, and their, e their ease that they shoot the basketball. I think Devin Booker can certainly take the ball to the hoop and a little more handles than Klay Thompson. Uh, but I do find some similarities in their shooting, some of the purest shooters you'll ever see in the game. Uh, I love Devin Booker. He's definitely in my top three. Who else do we got going down the list, Spence? So number four, I have Donovan Mitchell, and this is—he's uh, actually been downgraded for me, uh, no doubt. After this playoffs, he started out great. It's easy to be good in the first round against a young team, right? Uh, but his stat sheet, I think, is fine, but it's the way he's performing. It's not efficient enough. Uh, I thought he'd be playing a lot better than he is right now. Not that he was a—he was just much more impactful in last year's playoff. That's why I had him so high on my list so far. Not that he would drop outside of the top ten or maybe even outside of the top seven, but definitely not at number four anymore. But at the time, I think it was a decent spot for him. Yeah, a little hampered with an ankle injury right now, um, but I understand what you're saying. Uh, but as I just mentioned, uh, I think Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker are in my top five. Um, let's continue the list. We'll see if I keep Zion in the top five or I move him out. Yeah, so this is the, this is the one that uh, at the time it felt right. And I really did believe it because here's the reality of the situation. I looked at the stat when they when he shoots over ten attempts, so eleven or more, they win like sixty three percent of the time. In the playoffs alone, when he attempts ten or under, they have less than a forty percent win percentage. It's like he knows the tools to win, and I know it's within him. And I also love all of his other skill sets. Uh, I just think he has potential to be number five. It's whether or not he actually makes it happen is a whole other thing. 
Spence, here's the thing. When I evaluate young guys and I evaluate franchise players, everybody's different in how they, what they see and how they evaluate. Some people love to use analytics and, and to crunch numbers, statistics. For me, you have to show you have to, that you're able to hit free throws and at least have a reliable jump shot. And if you're not there, I have to believe that you'll get there. You know, you, you know more than anybody. You were totally against me talking about Lonzo Ball. I at one point talked about I was ready for him to be most improved. Uh, he's not there yet, but this year he certainly took a jump. You saw that in his jump shot. Well, he did. Ben Simmons, he is not showing that he's going to get any better. That's why I, from afar I look at the specimen that he is, and I say he's super talented, but he's never somebody in all of our conversations or all of doing this show that I've stood on the table and say this, is, this guy is going to elevate. He just doesn't have that it factor for me. So he may, he's he he's in my top 25 list, but certainly not in the top 10 for me. All right, moving on here. At number six, I have Jason Tatum. Well-deserved. Uh, Well-deserved. Jason Tatum is, is an absolute star. Yeah, and some people would have him way higher on their list. He, he does have some uh, problems, in my opinion, with leadership. Like, they need him to be a vocal leader for them to be successful because – both him and Jalen Brown are going to get super max deals. So most of the money is going to get tied up in them. They may have room for one other good player. I don't know if they have another player as good as either of them on their team, just the way money works out in the NBA. So they need him to be more than a 50 point scorer. Uh, and that starts in the locker room. It's been a big problem. So uh, again, that's why I kind of keep him lower on my list, but obviously still very high. I'm not completely convinced uh, that Zion can do this long-term health-wise. So I would actually – that's a guy that I would have ahead of Zion, Jason Tatum. Uh, I love Zion, but Jason Tatum has shown now for multiple years that he is elite. Uh, so Jason Tatum cracks that list for me. Let's keep it going, Spence. All right. This one uh, is – you would be surprised uh, if we went, when we look at the ESPN list because I only went to the top ten for mine. Okay. This guy wasn't even in ESPN's top five or top Yeah, 10 that's list. silly which was ridiculous. They had guys, so many names. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll go through them in a second, but I was a huge fan of him well before the playoffs started. Yeah. His skill set is just unreal. Be able to For his the size, way he can score and pass. Yeah, he's just so effective, and he has that. Like, he has that energy that you want your franchise player to have. It's yes. so important in the playoffs. Those comebacks don't happen without Trey Young, one, because of his skill, and two, because of the way that he carries himself and the way that his teammates look up to him. Those – are some things that you just can't teach young players. Love it, Spence. Uh, now, I, I I would really love to, to reel in Trey Young a little bit with a sl- shot selection. Uh, I think he can be Giannis at times where I thought Giannis was great by taking no threes. I think Trey needs to cut down maybe two or three of those bombs a game, even though uh, sometimes they go in. He's so – Spence, he's perfected that floater in the lane. He is so good at that floater, and you don't know if he's going floater or alley-oop to Capella – I think when he can get to the lane like that, he's unstoppable. Uh, you talked about his passing. He's got his energy, his charisma uh, can't be matched. We saw what he did at the Garden. He's got this team on the brink of representing this young Hawks squad in the Eastern Conference Finals. Total credit, total uh, total bull, upward trajectory for Trey Young in these playoffs. Tons of credit for him. Let's keep it going, Spence. All right, number eight I have is Jalen Brown. Big fan of this guy's skill set. We knew how good he was defensively and the way he played offense. It's so easy for us to like not have him high on our list because we haven't seen him in the limelight in the playoffs, what we all want to see. 
But this guy was having a season that I don't think people really realize he was so good, like amazing, made an all-star team, and you know, rightfully so, that he can only get better too. Yeah, Spence, it's really tough to to um, to to place Jalen Brown because you just have higher expectations from this Celtics team with two studs in Brown and Tatum. We know what he's capable of when he's healthy, man. The guy just makes it look easy at times. So I, I would love to see the Celtics splash in the playoffs with these two superstars. And until they do, uh, Jalen Brown will probably just be on the fringe of the top 10 for me or just on the outside looking in. All right, moving on to number nine. I LaMelo Ball had quite the rookie season. He won Rookie of the Year, of course, and – uh, the moment that uh, he, Devontae Graham went down at some point in the season, he went into the starting lineup, averaged over 20 points per game. Uh, he does everything that you want him to. Uh, confidence, obviously, is a big thing for him. Shot even better than I thought he would. I thought he would have all the good parts. I thought he was he's always going to be an amazing passer, always going to be great on the handles, very good at rebounding. Like He even kept that from his Australian days. Uh, but he was a better shooter than even I imagined, and I, and I was just his rookie year, so – he can only get better from here. I'm very high on LaMelo Ball. Yeah, great, great analysis there, Spence. I really am interested to see the jump for year two. And will LaMelo stay healthy the entire year? He certainly has the juice for me. He has tons of juice. I love this guy's game. And I, he really he, – he overachieved for me. I didn't think he'd shoot it as well either in year one. Uh, he certainly outperformed what I thought he was going to be. I thought he may have struggles without having this offseason and training camp and preseason games. So I'm really curious to jump from year two, Spence. I think the expectations for the Hornets with him in year two should be playoffs, whether that's an eight seed or seven seed or the play-in game. I'd like to see the Hornets uh, crack the playoffs this year and have LaMelo be the, the absolute clear-cut number one on this team. All right, last spot. This was a bit of a uh, leap for me. At the time, John Morant obviously did not have his 40-point performance. Uh, against the Warriors, nor did he have his 47-point performance against the the Utah Jazz. Uh, but I just see this guy's skill set and one of the best passers, no doubt, uh, in the league, and he will be for many years to come. It's ridiculous, ridiculous athleticism, we know that. And he's already proven that he's a much better shooter. Everyone said he wouldn't be able to shoot when he came to the league, and that's obviously just not right. He's been, He's been able to effectively shoot the three-ball the only problem is that he doesn't have an elite scoring set like you do, like you see with Jason Tatum and Trey Young. Like, he's just not there. I think he could be. I'm not sure if that'll ever be, like, the full part of his game. Uh, but <laughs> it's only a second season, and, man, did he emerge. I mean, this was the third youngest team in the league. He was by far their leader. They did not have Jaron Jackson for all of the season until the playoffs started. Uh, so this looks more right now than it probably did when I first made the list. Yes, yeah, Spence. Look, Morant has proved a lot to me. Yes, uh, I agree with you. The skill set offensively is not like a Tatum. But, man, you've never seen a quicker guy, a more explosive guy, and a, definitely a leader. Uh, I, I'm curious to see how he continues to evolve. He's absolutely in my top ten. I think you could float him anywhere from five to ten, in my opinion. Uh, so I don't want to give a definite number if I have him ahead of Jalen Brown, but I certainly have him. Uh, in this discussion and ahead of a couple guys that we've already mentioned. Uh, Spence, can we continue to go through uh, maybe a handful of more guys that are not in the top 10 that may be in consideration? Yeah, so we can actually go up to ESPN's list now. It is on my article. I copy-pasted it just so uh, everybody could see what they had. And really the story is who they had at the top of their list and who was down. 
Uh, so we can point out quickly, John Morant, 15. Trey Young was 16 on their list, which is kind of insane. They had guys like Bam Adebayo and Shea Gilgis-Alexander in their top 10, which I personally uh, just do not agree with. And I don't know if any of these names, if you're looking down below, like Brandon Egram is a fringe guy for sure. Uh, Tyrese could probably get there. I mean, there's a few names floating around, but I feel like my top 10 is fairly I, secure. I really like your top 10, Spence. Uh, let's not forget about Jamal Murray. He's He probably breaks my top 10. Uh, Brandon Ingram's in my top 15. Uh, Gilgis Alexander, top 25, but not in top 10 at this point. Uh, not enough sample size and playing for a really awful team. Um, DeMontis Sabonis was certainly in my top 25. Uh, Bridges in my top 25. DeAndre Ayton during these playoffs, I think he's elevated into the top 20. I think that's fair. Uh, you were spot on with Halliburton. Uh, Lonzo Ball, I'm high on him. Some would argue he's not quite in the top 25. He's in mine. Uh, some guys that would be at the bottom of the list for me. Uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on Michael Porter Jr.? He certainly has all the talent, but, man, I mean, he would – he. He's just he, he's got that ability. We talked about it. Defense. He's got ability, but he's he's got to have to make leaps and bounds to really crack some of these other guys. I think John Collins has really stamped himself in these playoffs. Uh, I'm certainly not putting Michael Porter ahead of any of the guys you mentioned and some of the guys I just mentioned in the top 15. Um, what are your thoughts on Michael Porter Jr.? Yeah, he might be the best uh, or one of the best scorers on this list. I think Tatum probably takes that and then Devin Booker. And then after that, eh, probably Luka. And then fourth, for sure, at that point, I would say that the best scorer on that list is Michael Porter Jr. But you can't be a liability on defense. So like that's going to knock you down outside of the top 10. Like None of those names in the top 10, I think, are amazing on defense. ESPN has Bam out of bio, which I think is ridiculous on their top 10. Uh, considering that guy has no skill set whatsoever on one side of the ball. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think Michael Porter, the um, the framework is there. And, and uh, you know, I was just trying to say that none of these guys are great defensive players outside of Bam Adebayo, but they're certainly not liabilities. I mean, that playoff series last year, they went to him every single play and scored every single time pretty much. Uh, but he's also got the back injuries. It's something you just got to wait and see. But clearly a guy who you know can be one of the best probably in the league with the way his body is shaped, like really a Kevin Durant archetypal uh, player. Spence, uh, dude, where's Kevin Herter on this list? Is he, does he even deserve to be talked about? This guy's had a really nice playoffs. I think he at least deserves to be an honorable mention in the top 25. And I'd like to discuss this more next week, talk about guys that aren't on this list that maybe deserve consideration. I thought her, you're, you lie. I know you like Kevin Herter. He's played really well in these playoffs. He can do a lot of things. Well, he's, he can drive the basketball. He's had some really in, Really phenomenal defensive plays in this series, Spence. He has no liability on defense. He's earned his way into the starting lineup. I think his stock is going to continue to rise. I like his game a whole lot if he stays healthy. So let's talk next week about some guys that can crack this list that aren't on the list as we continue to dial it in. We've talked about it, Spence. We love the NBA. The NBA is in great position with their young talent, and the playoffs are absolutely on fire now. As last night, the Hawks – they push it to a game six. They have a chance to close it out in the Clippers. Two underdogs in these series have a chance to close out their games tomorrow night. Tonight, uh, it was the Milwaukee Bucks who advance or not advance, but they pushed the Brooklyn Nets to a game seven in Brooklyn. It's going to be fantastic to watch while the Phoenix Suns are at home resting, hopefully 
that hoping that Chris Paul will be in the lineup come the Western Conference Finals. So for Spencer Ostrowski, I'm Brad Restituto. Enjoy your sports weekend. And when we come back, of course, on Tuesday, we'll talk Golden Knights. We didn't get a chance tonight here in Vegas. Uh, the series was evened up last night with the Montreal Canadiens, one game apiece. Tomorrow night will game, be game three in Montreal. So we'll follow the NHL playoffs when we come back on Tuesday and some more sports action. The Olympics are coming up this summer. We'll talk Olympic basketball. Uh, we'll talk NFL offseason mini camps. So for Spencer Ostrowski, I'm Brad Restituto. This is the Rest Stop. Have a great night and enjoy your week. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.